HVAC 360 is brought to you today by Murphy's Law. Everything going smoothly? Feeling good about your project? Don't worry. Murphy's Law is on the case, and before you know it, you'll be behind schedule and angrier than a wet hornet. The employees at Murphy's Law remind you, smile, it could be worse. Oh, wait, it is now. Murphy's Law, making things go wrong since 1949. What's up? Welcome back. This is episode number 85. I'm Matt Nelson, your host for HVAC 360, helping you go further and faster in the field of HVAC. In these podcasts, I'm going to be sharing stories, interviewing experts, and multiplying your HVAC knowledge. Uh, And if that weren't enough and it leaves you wanting more, definitely go and subscribe to my list at HVAC360.com. In addition to sending out bonus materials, I am also going to be sending out, like I did this time, notices for continuing education opportunities. So go to the website, sign up for there, and I will be sending out more of those in the upcoming weeks. So what's up this week? I'm going to uh, take this opportunity to recap the webcast that I watched over the weekend. Um, And the ASHRAE webcast was Making Energy Efficiency a Reality. Uh, So I watched that. uh, Actually, I tried to watch it on my website, and this is kind of a a tip for you if you you watch it on your laptop. It probably works for you. It didn't work for me um, so well. But uh, I ended up watching my on my phone, and of course, I didn't want to watch it that small, so I kind of just threw it up on the uh, on the big screen uh, using some mirroring technology, and that worked out great. So it was like watching a TV program in the comfort of my own home. Well, speaking of TV, let's take a break before we get into it for a brief word from our sponsor. All right, this podcast. I'm going to go through the top 12 takeaways that I had from the 2018 ASHRAE webcast, Making Energy Efficiency a Reality. Now, on the panel, uh, they had a great panel for this one. It was Tom Durkin, Mark Frankel, and Chris Mathis. Chris Mathis has always been a great speaker. Actually, I think he's been on a couple of these webinars before, and he doesn't um, fall short on this one either. So uh, kind of giving you a little description that I've cribbed from the ASHRAE notes uh, to describe this webcast um, is advanced technology alone solving the case for energy efficiency. Delivering meaningful energy efficiency in building often requires debunking myths about building products, performance, and solutions. This webcast will focus on strategies and policies that dive into deep efficiency goals. All right. So, I mean, it was a great webcast. Three hours long. They had some uh, Q&A. Uh, multiple times during the during the session. If you've never watched one, I would I would suggest you watch one. You might be a little bit afraid, saying, "Hey, you know, Ashray is putting these on. It's going to be you know engineering, you know, jargon left and right." But really, I think the presenters, uh, the intent for these webcasts is to make it more uh, understandable and palatable and accessible to a wider audience. So you don't really have to be that technical to understand uh, and get something out of these webcasts. So, all right, with that, I'm going to cut, get into my top 12 takeaways. All right, number one, in this world of growing energy demands, we're still relying way too much on fossil fuels. As, as the global 
population grows, uh, it, we're still you know, relying way too much on those finite oil, gas, uh, coal resources to generate electricity. Um, and, it, and it's kind of hard for people to really understand. And they, they did a, a, a great analogy where if you don't understand about the pollution potential of buildings, realize that the tailpipe you know, isn't coming out of the building showing you how much energy it's using. It's it's off in the distance. So our you know building tailpipes are really remote, and they're at the generating facility. That was a, a kind of interesting analogy that I liked. All right, number two, uh, Tom Durkin's fifty seventy ninety five axiom. Um, this rely relates actually to the importance of fresh air. Uh, but realize that even though it's critical for a healthy environment, that it's also responsible for 50% of the cooling costs, 70% of the heating costs, and 95% of the potential humidity problems in a building. So it was very important. Tom kind of stressed the fact that you match your building operation to actual occupancy. Kind of, you know, don't use any more fresh air than you absolutely have to. Number three, when we solve energy efficiency problems, uh, we need to really get away from uh, jumping onto the latest and greatest technology. Um, not only that, but we need to get away from using the same tool uh, all the time. If there's a favorite technology that we like going to, don't just keep using that. That might not be the right tool for the projects. Uh, so take a look at that. Number four, when solving energy efficiency problems, develop a wider peripheral vision. Uh, really, this was exemplified by Tom's case of uh, a, a university project where they're doing an H HVAC retrofit, and they ended up replacing the district steam uh, that was coming into the building with a plant inside the building. But they just didn't stop there because there were three adjacent buildings that they could actually incorporate into this new plant. So not only could they add a couple buildings onto this, uh, that ended up saving a lot of steam main that they could have just decommissioned and eliminated out of the whole central plant of the university. So there was an opportunity there when you just widened, you know, you, you didn't focus just on the building, but you widened it just slightly to include some adjacent possibilities. So I thought that was that I thought that was pretty good. Number 5, be wary of picking just the low-hanging fruit on your energy efficiency projects. Um, I thought this was kind of counterintuitive, but it really makes sense in the fact that when you're looking at energy efficiency projects, don't just go for the low cost, no cost, and you know gobble those savings up right away. Uh, because what you end up doing is you leave behind the longer payback items. Uh, and I know that uh, you know ESCOs do this all the time. They they bundle savings from short term like energy like lighting retrofits. They'll bundle that with roofing or uh, boilers or windows or something that has a longer payback. Um, things that degrade and need to be replaced, but they typically don't get replaced until they fail. So uh, as an energy efficiency project, use that opportunity to bundle those items uh, to make that a, uh, a better solution for your client. 
Number six, be wary of ghost energy. Now, I think Tom did a great job, and it's funny, um, about the different items that he had. Uh, as far as plug loads uh, are you know, huge ghost energy consumers. Uh, low delta T syndrome, which a lot of people may not uh, quite understand what that is, but it, it has some significant effects on your central plant. Uh, so if you've never understood uh, what a low delta T, maybe you need to read up on that and, and uh, um, become more familiar with that. And he named a couple others, but you know, check out the webcast for those as well. Number seven, always look to grow the size of your toolbox. Uh, sometimes you really, you know, it, it, you can engage, you can actually increase the size of your team. Uh, and engage others to increase the size of your toolbox. But you as an engineer always have to be looking at growing your toolbox. And that by that, I mean that you need to be increasing your knowledge, uh, not only about the, the, the systems and how they go in, but also new technologies. So really, it's kind of all what we are all about here at HVAC 360. Number eight, a couple of areas that, uh, that are hot in... Um, or are receiving more focus. The fact that ASHRAE 90.1, we're driving towards that near net zero, that net zero kind of baseline, but they run out of things to really focus on. And what is really the large drivers now, once we get, you know, once we take care of the, you know, the right system and the right, you know, the building enclosure and, and things like that, uh, things that are becoming more popular and more, I guess, uh, more talked about now is occupant behavior and also building operations. I guess those two things. Now, occupant behavior, I know that like uh, like in schools, you can get into competitions about who can save more energy. Uh, and, and really to affect occupant behavior, they were talking about how you need to have some immediate feedback for them, whether it be you know, a heads-up display on a TV saying how much energy the, the, you know, the building's consuming um, and things like that. But you really have to uh, you have to engage them with some active feedback uh, to be really be able to affect some some change there, and then obviously building operations, you know, not you know trying to trying to minimize the runtime, you know, a, a, a you know the best the best energy savings is the the kilowatt that you don't use. So being able to shut things down and operate your buildings in the most efficient way and really you know educating the end users to be able to do that number nine energy efficiency is less costly than new generation um so energy efficiency uh, for you outside of the u.s uh, energy efficiency has uh, a lot of uh, different places in the u.s where it's kind of big and, and prominent um california being one with title 24 um, other places like New York, and those are where the major population centers are. But I've always been curious about the North Pacific Northwest up uh, in Washington State. Is uh, why why was there so much energy efficiency projects, uh, you know, happening there? I mean, a lot of the commissioning, building commissioning, actually comes out of the Pacific Northwest. And why was that? And it wasn't really until Mark uh, Mark Frankel actually explained that the. Per- uh, Pacific Northwest actually way back when had a, a situation. Uh, they understood that there were, you know, the region was growing and they predicted uh, energy demand that was going to climb 
you know, higher and higher, and they were going to supplement this with nuclear energy. So they went through a whole bond issue trying to raise funds and things like that to support this bond issue. But the problem is, is that their energy consumption didn't grow that much. So the whole bond issue fell flat on its face. And through this kind of fiscal emergency, they were required to, um, they were required to come up with energy efficiency strategies to, to help them save money instead of basically, like I said, instead of you know generating more energy, let's save energy so we can actually add population and increase growth. And if we work on saving energy, then our uh, electrical generation demand doesn't change. So that was that was interesting to be here that uh, that talked about uh, with Mark um, on a design on the design front uh tom threw in there to hey why don't you uh uh, focus on making sure that uh adding valves and bypasses um to a system uh to uh to be able to work on the system to be able to you know remove pieces or fix pieces or upgrade pieces without having to drain the whole system uh so this was kind of a more of a you know a hydronic uh approach or a a hydronic tip from tom to be able to, you know, focus on, you know, adding adding more valves, and this and this comes into play. You know, I've I've seen it a lot of times, and it's a big headache when you can't change a system or modify a system in a way without draining the whole thing, um, which is a big headache. Um, even even working on it, so you got a got a leak in a you know in a wing of a school building, you have to shut the whole system down, or can you isolate that wing? And work on it from there. So that's that was kind of the the thrust of that that highlight. Number eleven, solar panels uh, really cut into the base load of electrical generation. Now I had never really heard about this, and I think this is kind of where you get into trouble with net zero energy buildings is that you start cutting into the base load. So. To kind of explain it to you in words, um, and he does a better job with the graphs, um, Mark does, but it, it was, for electrical generators, you have a base load that's, you know, so many kilowatts. And then, you know, so that's constant. You know, that's 24-7, 365. That's always going. Um, you know, think of that like nuclear plants, just kind of having this constant power output, but it's always being consumed. And that's the thing. You generate it, you consume it. Um, with the... You know the spike in the midday. You know, you're starting to get into a like a, um, a like a mid-rise kind of a middle uh, middle spectrum uh, where they're throwing. You know they're adding on generation plants and things that they can you know start up within a couple of hours to be able to handle additional loads. And then they have the peaking plants, which are are the the most costliest, the dirtiest, and the the quickest to come online and go off. And and that's really what the power you know power company ideally would like to just stay with this base load if they absolutely could. That way they could kind of design their system. You have this base load, but at least get rid of the peaks up at the top. Unfortunately, what happens with the PV is the PV actually at the midday generates so much electricity in locations that it actually dips into that base load. So it's like they're generating power that can't be consumed. Uh, so it's where does it go? Um, and you know you get into situations, really weird situations, where you know the energy cost is negative um, in certain markets, and you actually end up paying people to consume electricity, which is strange. But 
you know, what, what can you do with it? You know, you have to do something with it. Um, and I think that in the future is where you're going to get um, a lot into the energy storage solutions where you can generate that energy and kind of use it kind of off peak. So you're not affecting the base load of your electrical grid. But I thought that was, that was interesting. And Mark does a great job of explaining that. All right. Number 12, the best performing buildings have an integrated team. Now, uh, a team that you know doesn't work in silos. Now, in, the integrated approach, I think, gets a lot of lip service. And I think that there a lot of teams need to develop, you know, skills to effectively integrate a project. The problem is, I think a lot of them, uh, a lot of people, you know, they, they see this you know, shiny new word, and they're like, yeah, that's right, we, we deliver integrated design services, and they don't really understand what that is, and, and their intention is, okay, we're going to have a meeting, and everybody's going everybody's gonna to be there, we're going to talk about it, and then everybody leaves, and they're going to revert to what they've always been doing, the status quo, and that's, that's wrong. Um, the integrated team approach, you know, is really this, this continuous, like a continuous meeting that that happens for a project and that's when you get the best performing buildings when you really understand from design all the way through construction and operation of a building everybody's there learning trying to make sure that the building performs the best that it possibly can all right uh i have a bonus number 13 for you these are some of the last words uh that our uh, panel had uh first off was the uh, you know <laughs> the age old adage nobody's gonna nobody wants to nobody wants the lowest cost doctor to operate them nobody wants the lowest cost lawyer defending them but all the time people are getting the lowest cost engineers to design their buildings now you know the, you got to look at the quality if you want designing if you want your building to be able to perform, you got to pay a little bit extra for it. I mean, it doesn't have to be a lot necessarily. You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, get the world's greatest expert, but I think that there's a lot of firms out there that are not the lowest cost option and they provide a much better value for you as an owner. Um, you know, as, as Chris is known to say, these buildings, you know, should be built to last a hundred years. So you don't want a designer that's going to design you a building that's going to you know break after 10. Yeah, you just don't want that. Number two from the last words, engineers need to uh, keep up with the codes and new technologies. So that's really uh, focused back on that toolbox topic um, to be able to, you know, grow your knowledge base and, and understand what your different options are to provide those best solutions. Again, be an engineer that is not the low-cost option. Be an engineer that will deliver the value to your client. Uh, and the last one is prioritize delivering building performance more often. So that's really the, 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 you know, the essence of the whole webcast. You need to prioritize that because if you don't make it a priority, then it's going to drop off the table. So you need to prioritize delivering that building performance more often. All right. Well, those are my takeaways. Uh, I got a little spoiler alert, uh, or I should say, before I spoil this. um, Remember that this webcast is still available for continuing education credits. 
up until May 4th, 2018. Uh, the spoiler alert that I mentioned was for the 2019 Ashray webcast, and that is titled The Future of Refrigerants in Unitary and VRF Systems. So, all right, they're looking for um, speakers and panelists for that now. So if you think you qualify, hey, throw your uh, hat in the ring and see how that works out. All right, well, that does it for this week. Thanks to Ashray for putting on this annual webcast. Check out my show notes. And for some other links, uh, you can go to the show notes, and that's at hvac360.com forward slash 85. You can find that at. All right, thanks so much for listening. I hope this was helpful. If you know anybody who is trying to get into the energy efficiency uh, sector and wanted, wants to increase their knowledge, pre, please uh, share this episode with them. Uh, they may even thank you for doing them a solid. Also, as I mentioned at the top of the show, please subscribe to my list if you haven't already, hvac360.com, for more nuggets of goodness on a weekly basis. And I'm going to send out those uh, continuing education uh, notifications uh, for different uh, seminars, that uh, different opportunities that you can have from time to time. All right, and if that's not all, um, I'm, uh, if you have more time on your hands, I'd certainly be greatly honored if you'd consider leaving me a five-star review on iTunes that certainly helps us with the rankings. All right, well, that's it for this episode of HVAC 360. I'm your host, Matt Nelson, helping you go further, faster in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know. 